If you have a Bible, would you turn with me to uh, the 8th chapter of Romans? Uh, Read some verses here. One of the things that we know as we uh, come to church and as we read the Bible is that there are passages of Scripture that are exclusive. That is, they don't apply to everybody. And uh, just as we read in the Proverbs, there's this dichotomy between those who would uh, be foolish or simple uh, and those who would uh, follow after wisdom. There's a distinction. It's a pretty radical distinction uh, between people. And so as we come to worship the Lord, uh, we as the people of God, who are children of God through our faith in Jesus Christ, are able to rejoice in passages of Scripture like the one that I'm reading, and uh, for that matter, uh, like the uh, sermon that you're going to hear in a few minutes. It's kind of exclusive. Uh, it's for you, believers. And uh, one of the benefits of worship is that if there are people in the congregation this morning, I don't know who you are, but there may be people in the congregation who are not believers in Jesus Christ or you're questioning Uh, One of the advantages of being in this place at this time is you get to see some really happy people. Uh, That is, people who know their God and know that these words are true of them. This is God's word. The Spirit, beginning in verse 26, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit, knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Please be seated. Now, for a couple of weeks uh, that I've been with you, we've been learning some of God's names, just actually two before this. What a, pr- which, what a rich privilege it is for us to look at those occasions in the history and the story of the Bible, not story in the sense that it's made up, but the his story, his story of what happened in God's people. And uh, we've gone to school in one sense. Uh, about the nature of God, the person of God, and how he works among his people and about uh, other uh, men. We're glad that God is faithful to his word. We're glad when the questions of our lives are answered by what the scripture tells us. For instance, we learn uh, when we face that most basic question of all. Does God exist? Well, God comes to Moses and he says, I want to tell you my name. And my name is? I am. 
They ain't. What does a person need in this life to be content? Especially with all of the confusion that's going around. Well, God comes to Abraham. And he told this man, here's my name. I am Al Shaddai. I am God Almighty. I am God who is enough or sufficient. And on other occasions, when defeat by the enemy seems to be right at hand, there's great discouragement. God comes to us and he says, my name is Jehovah Nisi. I am the Lord, my banner, the banner of victory. When Abraham needed a substitute, he was ready to kill his son. He needed something to to provide for him. God comes and he says, I am Jehovah Jireh. I am the God who provides everything you need for life and godliness. When Israel, so many years ago, asked, would ask the question, well, what's the difference between us and everybody else? Why are we so peculiar? Well, it's because they worship Jehovah Mishkadeshkem. That's a good one. The God who sanctifies. The God who sets you apart. And for those occasions when we feel insecure and wonder if we're accepted, if anyone cares about me, if anyone looks on me with favor, well, God comes and he says, I am Jehovah Shalom. I'm the God of peace. Now, this morning, we further our education. And we look around us in our own circumstances, in our own days. And what's facing us? Well, a lot of things. Look at it. The media is controlled by the godless and the perverted. The pressures of the economy are in everybody's pocket, on everybody's wallet, everybody's budget. There are foes at work. There are foes in the neighborhood. Sometimes there are foes in the person sitting across from you at at the breakfast table. The Church of Christ is against outspoken opposition, against threats from the inside and from the outside very much. And beyond all that, there's the enemy of our own souls who comes to us and he tempts us and he works on my weak spirit, my weak will, my inability to control my passions. And he says, I want to get you. And I want to overwhelm you. And the fact is that the cards are stacked. The odds are against us. The task seems overwhelming. The foes are daunting. And God's people can feel powerless. Is there any place that we can go for help? Is there... Any place that we can find comfort, we can find strength, we can find stamina, confidence, courage to face this life that we're in? Well, we come to the scripture. And this morning we come to a psalm. And we're going to do it the way we're supposed to do the psalms, and that is we're going to sing the psalm. Psalm 46a in your hymnal is a setting for the 46th psalm. Now, there are uh, several settings of this Psalm, uh, both in hymn form as well as in the Psalter, and we're just going to 
I just chose this one because it's mostly the straightforward uh, presentation of the psalm. Let's uh, just remain seated if you want. If you want to stand, that's fine. We're free. Psalm 46b. I'm sorry, 46a. 46a. I wonder if David's saying it like that. Now this psalm, as you sang it, sets before us a world in upheaval. There's a need for refuge and strength because the earth is giving away. The mountains are shaking. The sea is in violent uproar. Nations are raging and collapsing kingdoms, even democratic republics, are crumbling. But look, in the midst of that upheaval, what you find in the psalm is there's a river flowing, a river flowing through the city of the great king. And the inhabitants of the city of God, the city of Zion, the people who live there, the people who are the church of the Lord Jesus Christ are calm. And why is that? The psalmist tells us because the Lord of hosts is with us. Jehovah Sabaoth. That's the translation of the Hebrew in your bulletin. That's correct. There are a number of places where Jehovah Sabaoth is emphasized. In Isaiah, he picks it up several times. Our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, is his name, in the whole, is the Holy One of Israel. Isaiah 48, for they will call themselves after the holy city and stay themselves on the God of Israel. The Lord of hosts is his name. Isaiah 45, for your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. The God of the whole earth he is called. There's another name, by the way, that you can meditate on. Now, this particular study is different than uh, some of the others that I've done, the other two that I've done, in the sense that in those occasions, God came and although God Almighty and Jehovah are referenced throughout Uh, the whole of Scripture, Uh, in this case, this name of God uh, pervades the whole of the Old Testament. It's used nearly 350 times. Do you realize that? 350 times. 70 times just in the prophecy of Jeremiah. Jeremiah 33. In this place of which you say, it's a waste without men, or beast in the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem that are desolate without men or inhabitant or beast there shall be heard again the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride the voice of those who sing as they break forth offering bring forth offerings to the house of the Lord give thanks to the Lord of hosts for the Lord is good For his steadfast love endures forever. I will restore the fortunes of the land as at first, says the Lord. The word 
Sabaoth or Tzaba in the Hebrew is translated in several different ways. It means uh, a mass of people, an organization or an assembly of people, particularly those who are waiting for war. It can refer to the hosts of heaven, which are uh, representative of the stars and the planets that exist in the heaven, or it's a collection of angels or spiritual beings, all of which are given to us and suggested that they are at the disposal of God. There's a picture presented of this in several places, and I just want to take you through some of those places this morning. In Joshua 5, we have a representation of this. Here's a relatively disorganized mass of people. They're called Israel, the people of Israel. And they're on the west side of the Jordan now in Joshua 5. Uh, There's no more manna. Uh, The river blocks their way in back of them. And in front of them is this fortress, uh, the city of Jericho. And you can be sure that Joshua has a few things on his mind when all of a sudden this stranger appears before him, right in front of him with a drawn sword. And as his Adam's apple bobs up and down a couple of times, he asks the classic question, friend or foe? Are you for us or are you against us? But what comes in reply is not quite what Joshua expected. The man says, or the figure says, look, Joshua, I'm not some guy who has come to join up with your ranks of amateur soldiers. No, I am before you now as the commander of the army, the hosts of Jehovah, Zaba of the Lord. The message that the commander of the forces of God gives to the prophet is exactly the same one That was given to Moses 40 years earlier. I stand before you as the commander of the hosts of the Lord. Take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. I love the last sentence of Joshua chapter 5. And Joshua did so. Just that simple. Joshua did so. Well, what's next for Joshua? Jericho is what's next for Joshua, an impenetrable fortress, the daunting task of taking this city, the first city in the promised land, which was representative of all the rest, really, of what was to come to them. You think Joshua felt weak? You think Joshua and the people of God felt unprepared, powerless? They're not prepared for a crusade, this battle. And yet, Joshua did so. Joshua goes forward and commanding the people of God. You remember the story. Walk around the city. Walk around it seven days. On the seventh day, walk around it seven times. When you get to the seventh time around, take out your little wilderness hammers and go up to the wall and start chipping away at the wall. And if you work at it long enough and hard enough, well, the walls might come down. Is that what happened? Come on. No. 
I once heard a sermon. Would you have shouted? That's what they did. They shouted. Why could they shout? Because the hosts of heaven were with them. Jehovah Sabaoth. In the accounts of the life of David, we move forward in the history of redemption and Actually, from the very foundations of the life of David, we find the Lord of hosts. He shows up first in the life of Samuel, the prophet. If you look at 1 Samuel 1, you you find that the very birth of the man is directed by the prayer of the father of Samuel. In those days, the end of Uh, the end of Judges tells us that every man was doing what was right in his own eyes. But not Elkanah. Elkanah comes and he offers a sacrifice. And who does he offer a sacrifice to? He offers a sacrifice to the Lord of hosts. That's the first time in the scripture that this name is used. And in answer to that faithful prayer to the Lord of hosts or the God of hosts, Elkanah and his wife, Get a baby, and his name is Samuel. And Samuel becomes the last judge and the first prophet of the people of God in the promised land. And it's certainly probable that Samuel would have referred to and based much of his ministry upon the representation to the people that he served the Lord of hosts. And so when it comes to the Bible stories that we remember, and this is another familiar one to you, that incident where... This truth comes out in 1 Samuel 17. David is asked by his father to take some provisions to his brothers who are set up in the camp of Israel with the perennial enemy of Israel, the Philistines. And on the day the young David comes to the camp, he's humiliated because Israel is humiliated. The king of Israel is out of his wits because this guy, this Goliath, nine feet tall, with a spear that weighed a hundred, with armor that weighed a hundred pounds, with a spear that the tip of it alone weighed 15 pounds. Who is this guy? Was David's question. And then he volunteered. No, he insisted, didn't he? He insisted upon taking himself the challenge of the people of God against this heathen. You remember the story. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 17, beginning at verse 43. Just let me read it. You pick up the climax of this event. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods, The Philistine said to David, Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of Jehovah Sabaoth. The name of the Lord of hosts. The God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. 
I come in the name of the Lord of hosts. You have defied him, and he is our God. And by the way, Goliath, your gods ain't. They're not. This was the truth that God, that David took into his reign as the king of Israel years later. When he was crowned, he determines to bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord into Jerusalem, into the city. And so he wrote that wonderful psalm that we sang at the beginning of the service. Who is the king of glory? Open the gates. He's coming into the city. Who is the king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. Toward the end of the Old Testament, the prophet Zechariah. We find this spokesman for God. Actually, Zechariah uses the name Jehovah Sabaoth 46 times in his prophecy. Must mean something to him. He's one of those who spoke to the people of God as they were coming out of exile in Babylon. They had been captive for 70 years. They were a discombobulated group of people once again coming back to the city and they were supposed to build the wall and rebuild the temple. But how would it ever be that such a weak, disorganized band of refugees returning with nothing to their homeland do what God was calling them to do. Even as wonderful as it might sound, how can we do this, Zechariah? Zechariah wrote that it was the angel of God who spoke to him and made this universal declaration, this is the word of the Lord, it is not by, pow- it is not by might, it is not by power, it is by my spirit, says Guess who? Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. And then one more briefly, I'm going back in history, but in that prophecy of Isaiah, you remember the picture uh, that Isaiah saw in the sixth chapter. There he saw the God of heaven and earth being displayed before him. And in that vision, Isaiah heard the voices, the response of the angelic hosts of heaven. And they sang to the Lord, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now that holy one, in Samuel, in David, in Jeremiah, in Zechariah, in Isaiah, is identified for us in the New Testament. In John chapter 12, it says this, When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah in chapter 6 might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. For again... Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. And then John says this, 
Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Isaiah spoke of Jesus, who was identified as holy, 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 the Lord of hosts. The hosts of heaven proclaimed him holy and rendered unquestionable service to their God because he is Jehovah Sabaoth. And he controls all of them, all that host, with absolute sovereignty, with omnipotence, with omniscience, with a very specific purpose in mind. And what is that end? Again, Psalm 91 tells us, He will give His angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. And if you're alert, you'll remember very specifically in the life of the Messiah that this host came for Jesus. The host has faithfully kept their charge. We see it over and over again in Luke 2. Who announced it to the shepherds? The hosts of heaven, right? The angels announced his birth. In Matthew 2, the angel of the Lord, one of the hosts of heaven, comes to Joseph and he says, you need to get out of town for a while. In Matthew 4, following the temptation, it was the hosts of heaven who ministered to the Lord Jesus Christ after his 40 days of fasting. In Luke 22, he's in the garden weeping, as it were, drops of blood. But an angel from heaven came and strengthened him. At the tomb on Easter morning, two angels were were there, ready to give the announcement and the truth of his resurrection to the disciples. And you see it over and over again. But there was one place, there was one time, When Jesus was not cared for by the heavenly hosts. He was not cared for. In Matthew 26, when he, by his very command, resisted calling them. As he was to be unjustly accused, unjustly tried, cruelly crucified and tortured. For the sake of his own sheep, Jesus would not call down 144,000 of the hosts of heaven to take care of him. And that's why we call him wonderful, merciful Savior. Through the Psalms, it refers to that first Messiah. And it ties it to us as well. It was true of Jesus, but it's true of us As well, in the book of Hebrews, in the first chapter, we're told of the great person, in the great person that Jesus was as Messiah. And he holds himself before God and before our presence as believing people. He's better than the angels in verse 4. And the angels worship him in verse 6. And the writer concludes with this statement. They are not all ministering, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? God is the Lord of hosts. 
for us. It's mind-boggling. Mind-boggling. Those spirits who surround the throne at the very command of Jehovah Sabaoth are for us, His people, as well. And it's the story of God's people. You can follow it through the book of Acts. Peter's in jail, in prison. Suddenly the hosts of heaven, one of the hosts of heaven, usher him out of the prison, back into fellowship with the disciples. Paul is ready to be shipwrecked. He tells the rest of the people on the ship, don't worry, an angel appeared to me. One of the hosts of heaven appeared to me and gave me the assurance. In Luke 16, we have the account of a certain poor man whose name was Lazarus. Jesus tells us that it came about the poor man died and was carried by the hosts of heaven to the bosom of Abraham. Now, how does all this fit together for us? Well, the fact is that just like the psalmist in Psalm 46, just like Joshua, just like Elisha, just like David and Jeremiah and Isaiah and Peter and Paul, you and I face obstacles and trouble and heartache and all kinds of stuff that seems issues that seem insolvable. They're adversaries that are giants in front of us. Complications, obstacles, temptations, all of this stuff. And we fear because we know that we're helpless in the face of that. We're overwhelmed, and maybe even hopeless. But why? Why is that? I'm not minimizing the trouble. It's real. I'm trying to maximize God to you. You're a God whom you worship and who loves you. Do you feel alone, useless? Does it seem like God's done with you? fact is that you're not done. You're not done. You know why? Because the Lord of hosts is on your side. You know Luther's great hymn. It's one of the settings of the psalm. Did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side. The man of God's own choosing. Just ask who that may be. Christ Jesus. It is he. What are the next words? Lord Sabaoth. The Lord of hosts is his name. From age to age the same. And he must win the battle. That was Luther's way of putting it. And we're not Lutheran. We're Pauline, aren't we? Okay, so I'll read it from Paul. What shall we say to these things? If this God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written for your sake. We are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, 
No, Paul says, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. What is there for believers in connection with the revelation that God is Jehovah Sabaoth? There's great confidence. There's great comfort. There's great courage. There's great safety and serenity in God. The calmness of mind and heart, even as we face the trials of this life. For we are stayed upon Jehovah Sabaoth. Brothers and sisters, this morning, I just want to leave you with this exhortation. You and I, you and I, because who God is, you and I are able to live the way we're supposed to live as disciples of Jesus Christ. You and I are able to speak as we are instructed to speak to speak the truth in love to a dying world in our testimony, in our evangelism. You and I are able to serve as each one of us is gifted by the Holy Spirit of God. You and I are able to love God, love each other, and love other people as He has loved us because God is Jehovah. Sabaoth. He's the Lord of hosts. We praise him. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, what a marvelous revelation of your person, your character, your work that is perfectly suited for our condition. And every condition in this room is a little bit different. And yet all the conditions are met by the God who is the God of hosts, the Lord of hosts. Our Father, we thank you for this meditation. Bring it home to our hearts. And if there are people in the room this morning who do not trust you, have not submitted to you, or playing carelessly with foolishness, simplicity, disregard for the wisdom of God, we pray that even a confrontation with these truths might draw them to yourself this morning. Hear our prayer for Jesus' sake. Amen.